Today on Act News Daily. We've been having upside and downside simultaneously. That's what I consider to be frenetic volatility. I think we could see volatility, but I think it's going to be more directionally oriented. Either it's going to be upside volatility. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Market Monday, and welcome to 2022. Delaney Howell joined today by Ashton Carr. Ashton, it feels weird. We have not talked over Zoom or on the podcast for over a week now. I know. I am a little worried that things are going to be a little rusty. So folks, please bear with us as we kind of get back into the rhythm of things. I'm just really hoping that this is like riding a bike and I won't have any stumbles. It is. It's just like riding a bike, Ashton. And you've got to probably hopefully feel a little bit relaxed and rested up to do the podcast today. I know I certainly do. I have been in Florida for about the past 10 days. So I've gotten a lot of beach time and sun time and just a much more relaxing environment down here. And unfortunately, I think we're heading home to like negative six degree weather later this week. So that won't be super exciting, but Yeah, that doesn't sound fun at all. That's quite the turnaround. I hope that your allergies are okay going from one extreme to another. Mine have been acting up a little bit because I came home to Lubbock to some snow on New Year's Day. Ooh, that doesn't sound high on my list. I haven't, we've uh, missed all the snow because we left right before it started snowing back home. And so we've still, you know, been through this winter without seeing any snow. So We're going to see that quickly this week when we get back home. Well, Delaney, I know that we have a lot to catch up on, and there's been a lot going on in the news since we last spoke. So why don't you go ahead and kick things off for us? Well, there certainly has been a lot in the news, Ashton, and I won't steal too much of the attention away from what I'm sure Sean Hackett will share with us here coming up in just a moment, chatting markets. But a lot of attention has been shifted here over the last couple of weeks to South America. Really, since we left the podcast, things have started to escalate a little bit more. Because over the past four weeks, Ashton, we've seen crops in Brazil and Argentina go from a 90% good to excellent rating to a just 58% rating. So a pretty huge decrease in the last four weeks. So a lot of attention has been placed on what's going to happen with these timely rains. Um, You know, they have still been getting rains in a lot of areas, so much so that it's pushed some folks out of the field. But all in all, really a poor condition heading into their key season here as usually, you know, the end of January, beginning of February, we'd start to see a lot of their production come online. So going to be an interesting couple of weeks here as we do head into South America's harvest season. Well, Delaney, I have some South American news myself today, and it's a short story coming out of Argentina as they have extended an export ban on seven beef cuts until the end of 2023, doubling down on their approach to taming meat prices for some local consumers down there. The government has also prohibited exporters from shipping full cattle carcasses and half carcasses, among some other categories for the next two years. Like I said, kind of a small story here, but this has been a strategy to to ban some beef exports that we've seen before. So nothing that uh, we haven't heard of. No, absolutely not. And, you know, as you look at 
continuing influx and continuing shifts in demand in the protein industry. There's a couple of other big factors here at play, Ashton. You mentioned what's going on down there in Argentina, but here in the United States, we saw that as of December 1st, we saw swine inventory drop 4% from a year ago. There were about 74.2 million hogs and pigs on U.S. farms, U.S. farms, according to the quarterly hogs and pigs report. And we also saw, you know, that piece of news come out earlier in last year, end of last year, sounds weird to say, but end of 2021, we saw that piece of news come out. Then today we saw some fresh news come out. And I don't believe that the Biden administration has made formal remarks yet, but they are going to be making some remarks later today on their new, more competitive and more resilient meat and poultry supply chain plan, which could be good and bad for agriculture yet to be seen. But the White House is going to be meeting virtually this afternoon with family and independent farmers and ranchers as the administration will be rolling out their plan to what they say boost competition and reduce prices in the meat processing industry. They say it's unfair that, you know, basically there are four large corporations that control about 85% of the beef marketplace and 54% of the poultry marketplace and 70% in the pork marketplace. So they are earmarking about $1 billion in the American Rescue Plan for funds to expand what they say is independent processing capacity. And like I said, we've not seen them officially meet yet, but they're planning to roll out that plan and basically share how they plan on fixing, I'll say that in quotation marks, fixing the protein industry as you know, we've continued to see a lot of price fixing and scandal around different allegations there with price fixing and monopolization in the protein industry. They officially have a plan and we will find out what it is probably later this afternoon, Ashton. Yeah, Delaney, they're supposed to meet, I think it's 2 p.m. ET is what I saw. It's a 2 p.m. something. So I think we'll have a little bit more to say tomorrow about this when things actually come out. But I do want to mention that we heard from the National Economic Council Deputy Director, and he sounds pretty hopeful, says that it will benefit farmers and ranchers. So definitely going to be looking out for that news and hopefully reporting more tomorrow afternoon when we speak once again. But I just have one other story really to talk about today because, of course, the announcement from the Biden administration was one of them, and it is coming out of Bulgaria. I'm just kind of following up here on the bird flu outbreak that we've been seeing. Of course, we haven't heard or we haven't really talked about anything for the past week or so, but did want to follow up on this piece of news today as Bulgarian veterinary authorities started culling over 39,000 chickens in the southern village after a bird flu outbreak was confirmed at two different industrial farms there. This is the second outbreak in the village since April when over 40,000 hens were culled. And we also saw another outbreak out of France in the western portion of the country, making it the first outbreak in that region. So, of course, we're going to keep following along with this bird flu story as we go through 2022 here. Well, another story we're going to have to follow here in 2022 is GMO labeling, because there's a couple key pieces of information that have shifted now in 2022. The first being that 
The new GMO disclosure has officially taken effect as of January 1st. And we're calling it a disclosure because it's not really mandatory labeling, but a mandatory disclosure and only in certain cases. But there's ongoing legal challenge about whether or not we should allow folks to require GMO labeling and GMO um, mandatory disclosures. But um, essentially, what we can expect to see right now is that folks do have to start having mandatory GMO labeling in place. And there's a lot of question mark about that. You know, who's going to pay for this new cost to adhere to these standards? Will it be overturned? We've seen folks sue the USDA over this measure. So certainly a lot of question marks remain there. But on the other side of this, the flip side of this here, China has given official safety approval to more domestic GMO corn types in a move that they're calling to ensure food security. They say that they plan to approve the safety of more GMO corn varieties produced by domestic companies And that was announced by their agricultural ministry late Monday, which comes after Beijing last month proposed an overhaul of regulatory seed rules to pave the way for the approval of more GMO crops. So it certainly seems that China's seen the writing on the wall and understands that to feed their growing population, they certainly are going to have to let more traits and technologies like GMOs come into their marketplace, Ashton. You know, Delaney, I have a funny story that I want to share when it comes to GMOs. One of my friends is a server and she's not involved in the ag world at all, but she knows how I feel about GMOs and labeling and those kinds of things. And she said that uh, a woman at one of her tables the other day asked if their corn tortillas were non-GMO. And she was like, well, it's not on the package. I don't think so. And the woman just opted to go for flour tortillas instead. And my friend, she was telling me, well, if you're that concerned about, you know, your health and GMOs and things, why are you so scared of GMOs, but you'd rather opt out for the flour tortilla instead just to avoid it altogether? I don't know. I thought it was pretty funny because she was kind of up in arms about it and she's not even one to be up in arms about the world of ag. So I thought it was a little funny to hear that story. Well, you know, we don't typically shop at Whole Foods, but there's not a lot of options for grocery store chains down here in Destin, Florida, where we're at this week. And so Blaine and I stopped at Whole Foods the other day because they had a pretty good seafood selection, actually. And so we're walking through the store and just, you know, remarking about how they have all of these different products that are marked non-GMO and organic. And the thing that always kills me is that half the products they label as non-GMO are products that don't have GMO varieties available to them anyways. So it's just... I don't know if you want to call it false advertising or misleading the consumer, but it is pretty misleading to a consumer to see something and think, oh, this is non-GMO, but everything is non-GMO in that variety of X because there is no GMO variety to have an alternative option for. See, that's what kills me. I kind of think that it's a little bit of fear mongering. I think people are definitely scared of GMOs if they don't exactly know what it is, but I just kind of giggle every time someone talks about GMO products and there's not any kind of GMO variety. Yes, I agree. It certainly is fear-mongering or whatever you want to say, but very interesting nonetheless. I tell you what, though, something else that was interesting today, Ashton, was how the markets finished up on this Monday afternoon after gapping open up 
pretty substantially higher in the overnight. We did see commodities push higher initially early on this morning. Soybeans added as much as, oh, I don't want to, I want to say 22 cents at one point. I think they got up there and since pulled back, but across the board, we did see some pretty big moves primarily in the soybean complex. So what do you say, Ashton, we hop in here and chat markets? Let's get into it. Well, Ashton, unfortunately, corn could not follow through on their overnight surge that we saw and did pull back. March corn today ended three and three quarters cents lower at 589 and a half. The May down four cents to close at 591. In the soybean pits today, this really was where I mentioned earlier the biggest moves for today trading on South American weather is a January soybean contract added five and a quarter cent, closing at 1344. The March up 16 and a quarter cents, closing at 1355 and a half. Chicago wheat pulled back today as the March contract shed 12 and three quarters cents, closing at 758. The May down 12 and a half cents, closing at 761 and three quarters. Hopping over into the livestock pits today, we saw weakness across the cattle complex as the February live cattle contract shed 77 and a half cents, ending the day at 138.92 and a half. The April down 62 and a half cents, closing the day at 144.20. And in feeder cattle today, the March contract shed 42 and a half cents, closing at a buck 69.52. The April down 27 and a half cents, closing at 174, 172.47 and a half. And in lean hogs today, the February contract shed 35 cents, closing at 81, 12 and a half. The April down 7 cents, closing at 86.65. Lastly, wrapping things up here, Ashen, with the Class 3 Dairy Milk Futures. January added $0.04 cents today, closing at $20.08. The February up $0.33, cents, closing at $21.05. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Sean Hackett. Well, folks, that's promised. We are chatting today with Sean Hackett of Hackett Financial Advisors. Sean, welcome to 2022. I feel like we have a lot to talk about here as we look at the future of the markets for this year moving forward. There's always, you know, uh, at the beginning of every year, Delaney, there's always the chance for different trends, new beginnings, and different stories to develop. And so it's always a good time to take a, a litmus test of where are we and where are we going? So absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. I feel like here we are sitting at the beginning of 2022 and we really have, I think over the past couple of weeks, since it kind of felt like things slowed down for the holidays, really turned a lot of attention to South America. And, you know, reading through the news wires today, as I was catching back up from being out on vacation last week, there's a lot of focus on South America and this amazing amount of crop that's gone from 90% in good to excellent condition to now 58% in just four weeks, Sean. When I read that today, I was blown away by that. What, what is really going on in South America? How much concern should we be having? Well, I mean, we have to remember the expectation, at least on soybeans, for example, was for another bin buster record crop out of Brazil of all time. And clearly with the drought conditions in the Southern Brazilian areas it's i think it's pretty clear we're not you know not going to have that kind of a crop now it doesn't mean it's a disaster i still think western brazil looks pretty good and and that's going to kind of make up for some of the losses in the south but i think overall which we're looking at a good but not great crop and 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 because soybeans had such a bearish expectation that means that the market needed to reprice the market higher as it has been doing and we're not so sure with argentina drought kicking in now 
that we're completely done doing that. We think we have some more price appreciation to go, especially for the derivative products like bean meal and bean oil, which really is what Argentina is noted for exporting to the rest of the world. So, so John, you mentioned some more price appreciate the appreciation that we should see here. How much more higher are we expected to price things in? Well, if we're correct that we're going to have a good but not great crop out of Brazil and that we're going to have a serious drought situation in Argentina where the crop could be, you know, actually pretty poor, you know, we're thinking, you know, soybean prices probably have to move themselves, you know, well into the mid upper 14s, probably to factor all that in. Remember, the crush margin is fantastic because of the big rally in bean meal prices in the last month. And of course, bean oil has been good all along. So if we have problems with supply of Argentina and those derivative products prices go higher, I mean, we're just going to continue to crush as many beans as we can get our hands on. And that would suggest needing to move the dial higher, we think at least in that mid-upper 14 level, if we're correct about this Argentina drought extending into the latter part of the first quarter. So Sean, as you look at South American production, you know, obviously analysts are projecting different reductions in production for Brazil and South America, but how tight do you think supplies will get here globally based on what you're hearing and seeing from a South American production standpoint? I mean, you know, when we were talking about this, maybe this time last year, it's like if we had any sort of a weather hiccup here in the United States or South America, that really pushed commodity prices substantially higher. Well, I mean, I think we have to uh, recognize that the one missing ingredient here um, is that we've seen a lack of Chinese buying of U.S. soybeans like we saw last year. I mean, they've been off buying in the same manner, we think, because of the poor pork price in China, the collapse of the hog price, and they just haven't needed as many soybeans. And so that's kind of kept the lid on things for a little bit. But if the production out of South America, which they relied heavily on last year and always continue to rely heavily on, comes up short, especially for the derivative products like we've been talking about in Argentina. Um, you know, we're certainly going to, you know, we certainly don't have the buffer stock, Delaney, that we had several years ago. Even though we have a little more of a buffer stock than we thought we had, it still would very quickly downgrade to something uncomfortably tight. And that's something to watch out for here in the first quarter. So, Jean, I want to focus a little bit more primarily on today's trading action, because watching the overnights, we gapped open higher. We saw some of that strength continue in corn and soybeans this morning, and then corn couldn't follow through. Was it what was going on today that that pushed things back? The last week of the trading year and the first week of the trading year, Delaney, are notoriously wildly volatile. Volumes are down. Uh, the market has all kinds of capital flows that are going on from year-end considerations, rebalancing of indexes. Um, and it, it's, it's a really frenetic time. It's really hard to read too much into wild volatility uh, in those first, you know, that last week, first week timeframe. It's the second week of January that the true trends um, start to develop. And so we just kind of feel today's trading as kind of a typical start of the year. Some funds making some big bets out of the gate, others doing some other things or rebalancing. And so we we would throw this volatility up today to what normally happens at the beginning of every year. So 
So then after we get through volatility here into next week, Sean, you know, we've got a big report coming up with the January WASI report. Are we going to expect markets to continue to be volatile next week with that in mind? Or do you think things will truly calm down? Um, well, I, I think that the two-sided trade is going to calm down, Delaney, meaning we've been having upside and downside simultaneously. That's what I consider to be frenetic volatility. I think we could see volatility, but I think it's going to be more directionally oriented. Either it's going to be upside volatility or downside volatility, which is going to stick, not just we're up and they open, as you said, big time, and then we end in almost a midday, we're down big. I think that kind of trading is going to subside, and we're going to develop some trends. We think we're going to develop some upside trends here um, once we get through that report. Um, there can always be some weird trading going into and through the report, but we really don't think the USDA is going to is going to say anything in that report that's going to change the real focus here, which is South American weather, what's true production down there, and then starting to look ahead to what kind of planting intentions are we looking at, and what kind of planting season are we going to have here in the U.S.? Well, Sean, let's look ahead then to 2022 planting, because we are, of course, still in the throes of an acreage discussion. What do you see happening here in 2022? My overall view, given the overall cost structure that we're seeing with all the inputs going up and the fertilizer prices going up as the fringe acres that we've been counting on to plant corn acres over the last many years, um, you know, in those Dakota areas and all, we just don't see them wanting to put down an expensive crop uh, unless the corn price were to really move substantially higher than we currently have here. And because if you look at new crop December corn in the mid fives, we just do not believe that the fringe acres are going to see that as a reason for them to go Put those acres in the ground again. We think they're going to look for alternatives, whether it's oats acres, whether it's soybean acres. We think they're going to, you know, spring wheat acres. We think they're going to find other cheaper crops to put in the ground unless there's a dramatic change in new crop December 22 corn pricing between now and then. As you know, Delaney, the insurance premium prices get set in February. That could be a pretty important benchmark to get a handle on exactly how this is going to play out. But we're thinking less corn acres and the fringe acres for sure as it stands today. Sean, as we wrap up our grain discussion here, we kind of talked a lot about corn and soybeans. What's your out? What's your forecast here for Chicago and spring wheat looking into 2022? If you had a crystal ball, what would it be telling us right now? <laughs> um, well, we know, we know spring wheat's super, super tight. You know, we had a failed crop in Canada, failed crop here, failed crop in Russia. So we have to have, a good planting season um, for spring wheat. And we don't think we're going to have a great planting season or a good enough planting season to calm the market's fears. And so if we're looking out ahead for spring wheat, we think we're going to have some planting problems, some planting delays, some issues, and that's going to set this market off at a time when we really have to have a big crop globally. When it comes to winter wheat, everywhere we look, we see problems, Delaney. We see extended drought in the central plains. We see continued problems with export tax restrictions in Russia. We see, and, and even though we were supposed to have this uh, pretty big crop out of Australia, excessive rainfall um, at the wrong time seems to have clipped that crop considerably. 
And now looks like it's going to be just a good crop, not a great crop. So when I look ahead at spring wheat, uh, we think that once again, like uh, spring wheat, the winter wheat crop's going to have problems coming out of dormancy in terms of being too dry and not having ideal conditions. And we also have to worry about winter kill. We've had a warm winter uh, thus far, but it does look like some very, very cold weather is coming in here in January. And there's not a lot of snow cover. And if we catch the right cold without snow cover, you know, that could be at a time when the crop conditions are really poor, you know, that could really set this market off as well. So our general view is we think the risks to the ups are to the upside for both winter wheat and spring wheat heading into the planting season here in the U.S. Yeah, I've been in Florida for the past week and a half and so haven't had to deal with any of the winter weather mix that the Midwest has been receiving. But unfortunately, we're dealing with that this week. But, you know, what what you're suggesting, there, I've heard that echoed by a lot of wheat farmers that they're seeing the same things you're suggesting. So certainly going to make for an interesting year this year as well. But Sean, as you look at Outlook here for cattle and hogs, what does 2022 pose? Everything we see, Delaney, says less animals, less animals, less animals for both markets, meaning we got the pigs report out of the USDA, continues to show lower numbers, not looking to rebuild the hog herd in the U.S., huge losses in China with the hog crash there. Everywhere we look, people are losing money growing hogs uh, outside of the U.S. And so when we're looking at a situation of lower hog numbers at a time that we believe that. China's going to have to start rebuilding their herd after the liquidation last year from their second route of African swine fever. There's going to be a big slingshot here, we think, from the second quarter onward, where they're going to come back and be big buyers of U.S. pork, which has been lacking here. And so while we're, we're, we're a little cautious in the first quarter, we're pr pretty constructive from the second quarter onward that the hog price can do well. And of course, in the beef situation, you know, the, the cattle, the, the, the herd liquidation from last year's drought and heat that we saw everywhere we look, animals are down, animals are down, especially in the U.S. And we think that the packing house problem, which we, we suffered from the last year and a half, where they couldn't bring animals through because of problems with COVID um, and, and, and fires and things of that nature are not going to be there because we're simply not going to have enough animals to bring through. And they're going to start bidding up those animals um, as the demand continues to be strong. And so from just maybe Delaney, the, the animal producer, the cattle producer, the hog producer is going to get the upper hand from the packing houses. Well, and we certainly know that the Biden administration is intended to make some sort of announcement this afternoon yet today about what they intend to do with making things a little more fair on the packing and protein side of things. So certainly going to be an interesting 2022 for the livestock industry as well. But Sean, before I let you go, I know you put out a newsletter to your clients, but if folks want to pick your brain, subscribe to your newsletter, just interact with you about talking markets. How can they find you? Our website, Delaney, is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We have lots of information on there so that your listeners get a good handle on whether and what we do might be a value to what they're doing. Fantastic. Well, Sean, thank you so much for being our first market analyst to come on here in 2022. Certainly going to be an interesting one, and I will be sure to have you on later this year. Thank you, Delaney, and keep your, up your great work for helping U.S. agriculture. Really, really appreciate it, and I'm behind you, behind you 100%. 
Thanks again there to Sean for being our first Market Monday interview and general interview of 2022. We have some exciting things coming this week as well as the rest of the year. So folks, do stay tuned for that. You can listen at agnewsdaily.com or wherever you find your podcasts. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.